beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning, and welcome to this week's episode of Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner, and uh, absolutely thrilled to be with you today. We're going to tackle a difficult topic today. I'm a little intimidated by (laughs) the whole idea of addressing it, but uh, there are some real important points that we're going to make about the nature of truth. What is truth? Capital T, truth. Small t, truth. Objective versus subjective truth. Absolute versus relative truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, truth. And uh, then there's deliberate lying. I think that's where we should begin, to bear false witness to lie, and there's different kinds of lies. You know, there's gray lies, white lies, lies of omission. That's a lie when you just don't tell the whole truth. But there's a metaphysical truth that goes beyond all of this. And that's where we're pointed, and that's where we're headed. The truth that you really initially have to take on faith, it's it's odd. It's like, instead of looking for evidence or proof or a factual basis to decide upon truth, metaphysical truth works the other way. You really have to take it on faith. And then you're able to experience whether it's true for you or not. So we'll sort of contrast metaphysical truth to uh, the truth of the physical world. That's just a little bit of what we'll touch on today. So uh, I'll do my best to make it fun and relevant, most importantly practical, so that you can use it in your daily life and affairs and and be more discerning and more critical in our thinking. We've done, as I recall, one class on critical thinking. And classes like this in metaphysics or mysticism or esoteric philosophy, often don't focus on logic or analysis or reasoning, but it's just as important as developing intuition and then learning to integrate the two, your logic and your intuition. So that's a little of what we have in store for us today. We'll begin, as always, with the group meditation. So If uh, you get comfortable in your chairs or uh, wide awake, back in the room now, wide awake, eyes open, feeling better than before, (laughs) feeling much better than before, more awake, feeling fine, feeling fine, good, welcome back.
All right, let's start our discussion of what is truth with what is not truth. And we've had some uh, recent events that bring this to mind. If you're following the news at all, there was a lawsuit filed against uh, Fox News that resulted in some depositions and the release of confidential emails that demonstrated that uh, Fox has a business model of earning money, uh, generating revenue, and also increasing their stock market value by giving people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. It's a business model. And it's called Fox News, but it's not Fox News. There's no news. I guess you could say Fox News is, <laughs> is not real journalism. And uh, the most popular hosts will admit to you that they're not journalists. But now we see them in these uh, private emails admitting to each other that they're supported the big lie uh, about the last general election uh, was just that. And they were scheming and conniving and mocking the guests that they were featuring and saying that they were lying and they had to lie. And in one case, one of the reporters accidentally told the truth and they, it was basically the big three, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, but there's many, many others. And they said, we got to get this woman out of here. We got to, can't we get her fired? She's doing damage to the business model. The stock price is down. She, she told the truth that there's no evidence here, that this is all nonsense. This, uh, oh, you remember these QAnon things about uh, bamboo fiber and the ballots and something about uh, Italian satellites and the Dominion, the voting machine company was really owned by some communist in Venezuela, second cousin to the, it's just absurd. And we find out that the primary source for all of this according to the attorney Sidney Powell, was a, a woman who claimed that she knew that this was all true, the election was a fraud, because she was able to time travel in a semi-conscious state. That was their source. I cannot imagine having graduated with a degree in journalism, quoting or giving attribution to a woman who said, I know because... I time travel in a semi-conscious state. But it didn't matter because they were making millions personally, paid tens of millions, $20 million a year, personal income. The company making billions. And to this day, continuing, even though they've been exposed. These are deliberate lies. And since we're interested in metaphysics and the whole idea of karma, and even Moses included in the Ten Commandments that he was inspired to jot down or scratch into a tablet, an injunction against bearing false witness. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says the devil is a liar. What, what makes something evil? Well, lying is a good place to begin, a deliberate, purposeful lie not to mention a lie that undermines democracy and promotes autocracy 
and corporatocracy. I don't know how you sleep, but I would worry about the karma because the universe is righteous. It's just. It's not vengeful. I uh, heard Trump this morning at CPAC say that I am your retribution. <laughs> We're not interested in retribution or vengeance. These matters will be handled by the nature of the universe, which is ultimately just. So this horrible karma in lying. I won't dwell on it, but there are situations where white lies could arguably be promoted if the intention is to avoid hurting someone. But you have to be really careful about justifying lies. Even though it's difficult sometimes to tell the truth, to tell the truth to someone you love, to your partner, to your parents, to your children, at work, to the boss, to your coworkers, to the people who work for you. There are better ways of framing something than just blatantly hurting people with the truth. Even if it's true, we can find ways of being diplomatic and broaching it. But that's got to be our goal. In time, all truth shall be revealed. Truth always reveals itself. What was that quotation by Buddha that I put in the newsletter this week? Um, three things cannot be long hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. It'll always come out. I remember saying once to uh, a person in my life who was indeed a pathological liar. I said, you know, people who tell the truth have a way of knowing when someone is lying. And without hesitating, he said, really, how? <laughs> I had to laugh because, well, of course, you would never know. You, you'll never figure that out because you're so busy manipulating and pathological liars or people with personality disorders that cause them to lie a lot are people who are under the impression that everybody does it, that the goal is to be a better liar, <laughs> to be the best liar ever, and just to be confident and certain in your lies. But uh, it never works. I also like that uh, quote about, I don't know if it's Churchill or Mark Twain that said, uh, a lie will get halfway around the world before the truth can get its pants on. It's true. Lies are sticky. Anything negative is sticky. And uh, people are really amenable to believing what they want to believe. You know, confirmation bias and all of that. So... To tell the truth is really a virtue. It's a matter of character. And it's not something that we merely do for others. We benefit because truth includes the understanding. I'm sort of jumping to the end here, and then I'll come back and backfill. Truth, capital T Truth, exposes the illusion of separation. So there is no you or me. It's always you and me. It's always us and them. There is no 
us or them. There is no or. There's just the one thing. All things seemingly separate flow from the one thing, and that's the ultimate metaphysical truth. There's just one of us here, don't you see? When we talked about the Noble Eightfold Path of Buddhism, which constitutes the fourth noble truth, Buddhism begins with four noble truths. And the fourth is this how-to of the Eightfold Noble Path. Remember, it begins with right understanding. That's the first of eight steps in the fourth noble truth. Right understanding is that there's just one thing here, one life. Ancient Egyptians called it one thing, the one thing. <laughs> it's just, there's only one, capital O and E, one. It's just one thing at work. And unlike Abrahamic or uh, monotheistic religion, which is very dualistic. There's the creator and the creation, and the creator lives outside the creation. In monism, as opposed to monotheism, the monism of the East, this is a bizarre belief. Why would you separate the creator from its creation? The subject-object split is a real conundrum to half of the people in the world, at least, I'm not sure the numbers, how many are monotheists versus monists. But the monist does not see separation. It, its philosophy, whether practiced as a religion or, or simply a philosophy, is non-dual, such that the creator and its creation are not separate, but the same thing. It's like, in Eastern philosophy, God did not create the world. God is the world, and the world is God. Divinity is in everything, and everything is in the one. And listen to atheists argue with theists or religious people. It's all based on, does God exist as this super being, as this big daddy, this divine father aspect, or the divine trinity, if you will. But it's full of all of this separation. And prayer is a petition in most cases to this external loving force. No separation in monism. And so when you discuss truth in that context, it becomes a very different thing that's truly capitalized. Now let's backfill and work our way up to that. Let's talk about subjective truth and objective truth. And uh, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One that I like a lot is to imagine a ball that is half orange and half green, a big, like a beach ball. And one side of that ball is orange, and the other side of the ball is green. And there's two people on either side of the ball, and one person sees the orange side only and declares that the truth is that the ball is orange. On the other side, we have a person that observes only the green and 
is just as certain that it's green, and each presumes that the other one must be lying. It's so obvious. It's right in front of my face. This is an orange ball. And the other one is incredulous. How can you say that? You think I'm a fool? It's clearly a green ball. Well, one of them must be lying. And that's as far as most people ever get in their lives. That's it. That's Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Men and women in a marriage when they argue. Our arguments with our parents and our children and our neighbors and... We're both certain of our reality. How could they possibly disagree with what's so obvious to us? And it's just that we've never been trained to understand that it's quite likely that two things could be very different and both be true. And you'll hear people argue to this day that that cannot be something either is true or it is not true. It's absolute There's no relativity to it at all. But wait, there's a third person here. A person who sits at right angles to the other two and can clearly see that the ball is both orange and green. But what if there's a fourth person and they're at a distance and they have a perspective that stands above and beyond the first three? Not only do they see that the ball is half orange and half green, but they see that a yellow light is shining on the ball, and it's actually red and blue. You're all wrong. And if there's no light, the ball doesn't even exist, right? What ball? There's no ball. I don't see a ball. There's no light reflecting off it, so it must not be there. The great Rhineland mystic Johannes Toller said in about the 14th century, I think, if I were a king and did not know it, I would not be a king. So awareness underlies all of this. So we have the idea of a objective truth and a subjective truth. And there's also an absolute truth and a relative truth that are very, very similar. This is where we talk about truth to a matter of degree. I'll give you some examples. Wow, that was really fast. That went quickly. Well, to what degree are we talking about time? Are we talking about speed? Are we talking about faster than a speeding bullet? or faster than the speed of light, or faster than the speed of sound, or uh, the rabbit being faster than the tortoise, even if the tortoise wins in the long run. How fast is a relative term? How big is big? When does big become small? At what point does big become small? Well, it's all relative. It's relatively pretty big. Big as a house. Big as a whale. Big like that inside toe, the big toe. Is there really such a thing as jumbo shrimp? (laughs) 
And when we say it's a matter of degree, this goes for temperature as well. A little play on words here. The example I use in my book, Fearless Intelligence, is a story about uh, my friend Joe from Alaska and my friend Pekelo from Hawaii who come to visit me in Los Angeles and it's 68 degrees. And Joe's loving it. Oh man, I'm so happy to be in Southern California. Do you realize it's 68 degrees in the middle of winter? You know what it's like in Alaska right now? My goodness. you mind if I go sit outside in my shirt sleeves and soak up this warmth? And in the same room, my friend from Hawaii is asking for a sweater. He's freezing. And he says, I don't know how you mainlanders, you holidays, suffer through these freezing temperatures, 68 degrees. My God, I can't remember the last time I felt such a, a, a cold, cold temperature. Well, the way most people think, one of these people is a liar. Or at the very least, one of them is wrong. It can't be both hot and cold at the same time. Yeah, it can. It's all a matter of degree. This is subjective truth. The objective truth is that it's 68 degrees, right? And this is also relative truth versus absolute truth. We could say it the same way in this case. There are some distinctions, but I'm not going to get into it today. It's just gets too esoteric. And, you know, if you roll up your sleeves and do some research, wade into the philosophy around what is truth, it gets really pithy, really deep, and really profound. And I have no desire to, to go any deeper than we've gone. Other than to say, beware of the absolutists in your life and recognize what a threat you are if you're an intelligent thinker who recognizes the relative nature of truth. Coffee is good for you. I know that to be true because I drink coffee and I've read a bunch of studies that says coffee is really good for you. Somebody over here says, no, you're wrong. Coffee is bad for you. I know because I used to drink coffee and I stopped. And it took me a while to feel better, but then I felt a lot better. Can't tell you how much anxiety went away. And uh, I've read some studies. There's a bunch of studies that says coffee is not good for you. Well, who's lying? Or maybe better said, who's right and who's wrong? There are very few people in our lives, unfortunately, who have the capacity or the willingness to say, well, maybe both things are true. Maybe they're both equally true, and maybe they're both true to a relative degree. Maybe the guy who believes that coffee is good for you is 60% right, and the guy who believes coffee is not good for you is only 40% right. And then we can argue about, well, it's really 90-10, or it's 55-45. The debate is still raging, but at least we could agree 
that both things could be relatively true or subjectively true. Maybe coffee is good for this set of people and not so good for that set of people. And if you have people in your lives that are this flexible, embrace them because they're a rare breed. It's likely you will encounter a great number of people or already have and will continue to encounter people who are terrified by the relative and by the subjective. And they are, are not interested in living in a society that honors relativism. They want absolute truth. They want rules. They want regulations. They want things to be clear-cut. This is right. This is wrong. This is illegal. This should not be legal. Whether it's pot smoking or a woman's right to uh, an abortion or gun ownership or a million other things that we disagree on. Can we agree to disagree as a place to begin and understand the subjective or relative nature of truth? Because only then can we begin to look for the absolute truth that may exist behind it. I contend there are both. There is an absolute truth, but it's esoteric. And again, this takes me back to the metaphysical truth. Everything we've talked about up until now, let's call physical truth, the truth of the world, of physical reality, our belief that we are physical bodies in a physical world. This brings up a point that I'm glad I remembered to touch on. There is the self-defined truth of math and the scientific method that we need to acknowledge. Two plus two equals four is neither a relative or a subjective truth. It's a self-defined truth. But it's reliable. When you look at the ability of science to do what it's able to do, whether it's medicine, healthcare, biology, engineering, laws of motion, physics, my God, the ability to build a rocket, to launch it at just the right time, given the fact that the planets are spinning around the sun, always moving in somewhat elliptical orbits. They're not even round orbits, which means they're speeding up as they get closer to the sun and slowing down as they get farther away from the sun. And I'm going to shoot a rocket to Pluto with a camera on it and send pictures back to Earth of the surface of Pluto. And it works. And in order to get that far, they had to slingshot the rocket around Jupiter, or maybe it was Saturn, where you aim the <laughs> you, you aim the rocket at one of these big giants or at a point in space where that big planet will be when it arrives. 
at just the right angle that it falls into an orbit and then slingshots around it and then is thrown back out into space at a point that by the time it gets there will perfectly encounter Pluto and fly a hundred miles above the surface. It's just breathtakingly amazing that mathematics and geometry and trigonometry and calculus can allow us to do such things. So there is truth in math. There is truth in science. But again, something is true only until it's not true. Right? As you get more information, your truth is going to evolve. You get a better understanding of things. Even in science, things that we thought were true. It's not that it's not that what we once thought was true is now untrue. It says we grow and evolve and expand our understanding. Truth expands and puts what we had thought to be the whole truth in a whole new perspective, and we realize that that's only part of the truth. Often, if you're really clever about it, you can witness people who you might say without carefully thinking about it, well, you're wrong. This is actually the truth, and I know it's the truth. I can demonstrate it to you. How often is it that they're not really wrong, which is their truth is incomplete? We're back to that oath in the, in the courtroom of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We don't always know the whole truth. So a truth can be true, but not be the whole truth, and nobody really knows the whole truth yet, so truth evolves. And the argument is then, well, how could it be true if it's changing? <laughs> if it's evolving and growing and expanding, then it's really not true. It is in a relative or subjective way, it's true. This is one uh, really helpful insight to understanding the reactionaries among us, uh, reflexive thinkers, if you will. They are very anxious, dominated by what they don't know, frightened by what they don't understand, and looking for absolutes to hold on to. And ironically, and I'm using that word deliberately, ironically, when truth, capital T, metaphysical truth is discovered, along with it is the recognition that there's nothing to hold on to, no reason to hold on, that you're best letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. Maybe the ultimate wisdom, truth is letting go. In this sense, truth is love. Truth is consciousness. It's the oneness of all things, so there's nothing to hold on to. You would only hold on. <laughs> Grasping, clutching, the desire for absolute truth to hang your hat on if you felt that you lived in a universe where everything was separate. If everything is separate, how did everybody get COVID? How did it swing like a monkey through the trees? 
through the one body that is humanity. And it's actually a form of bird flu, so it's in the animals too. Birds and bats, and I mean, even if it was a lab leak, we don't know. Or or came from bats, or there's bird flu. You've seen the price of chicken eggs, right? It's because there's a bird flu right now. It's killing all the chickens. Well, not all the chickens, but you understand what I'm saying. An understanding of ecology, of the ecosystem, of the of the environment, leads to an understanding, a very clear understanding at some point, that everything touches everything. We talked a week or two ago about how antidepressants and, for that matter, antibiotics are in the rainfall. They've so completely saturated the ecosystem that pharmaceuticals rain down out of the sky and come out of the tap in the shower head. <laughs> there is just one thing here. That's the ultimate truth. That's the what I'm calling the metaphysical truth, the truth of mysticism. It's the ultimate mystery. There's only one of us here. There's only one thing at work. It's a universe. Separation is an illusion. So in many systems of study, theosophy, for example, um, and the related schools, anthroposophy, neoplatonism, the Eastern religions, and mysticism in general, Love truth is often hyphenated as a single word. In the same way, loving kindness, the Sanskrit word metta is loving kindness. You'll often see it hyphenated. In fact, increasingly, it's not even hyphenated. It's one word, loving kindness. Two sides of the same coin, you see. And so love truth is really one concept. But you've got to understand when we talk about truth as love, that we're not talking about love as an emotion. Love is not an emotion. Even your, your straight-laced psychologist, psychiatrist, will admit that it may seem like it ought to be, but love is not an emotion. It's not just some warm affinity that is more of a biological drive. And uh, the proof is that love brings up all kinds of feelings. Love can bring up that warm, fuzzy desire to be present, to touch, to hold, to laugh with, to cry with, to grieve with. The, our connection to people, to animals, to a flower, to a sunset, to life itself. But as an emotion, if you think of love as an emotion, it's confounding because it brings up not only happiness and joy, but it brings up anger and bitterness and jealousy and envy and hostility and sometimes violence. You know, why did O.J. kill his wife? Because he loved her. What? Yeah. That's how crazy it is. So, 
we have to look at love as in a metaphysical sense, not merely in an emotional sense. And for love to be hyphenated with truth is that the ultimate truth is love. And what love means is no separation. Love is the awareness, the consciousness. You're looking for a synonym for love. It's awareness or consciousness that binds all apparently separate things into one, such that everything is part of the one while the one is in every seemingly separated thing, and both things are true. We're back to that. <laughs> Two different things both being true. Two sides of the coin, right? Why is this single set of trousers called a pair of pants? <laughs> Where's the pair? In a pair of glasses or a, a pair of gloves. Aren't they really one thing? Your glasses, aren't they really one thing? But we call them a pair. All appearance of dualism is an illusion. Right? I, I know it looks like two genders, right? yin and a yang. There's light and shadow. There's good and evil. There's heaven and earth, spirit and matter, energy and mass, coming and going, in and out, up and down, back and forth, good and bad. Did I say that already? That's the dualism of the world. It's an illusion. Love, truth is it's all one. But relatively, that's the absolute, but relatively, separation is real. I used to ask my students and clients, if the Dalai Lama knows time is an illusion, why does he wear a Rolex? Because it's real enough. And he's got a scheduler. He's probably got a person who does it for him, but there's a schedule. That a week from Friday at three in the afternoon, he's got a very important meeting. And when that meeting arrives, he knows it'll still be now. He understands time is a function of three dimensions of space. It's a continuum, space-time continuum. Where there is no three-dimensional space, there is no time. Where there is no time, there is no space. At the speed of light, time stands still. 